Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, we've uh, kind of made it uh, almost through uh, the middle of summer, right? It's July. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I feel like June was maybe even a little warmer than yeah. than July. July hasn't been that bad. There, there's been a couple warm days, but even humidity, I feel like, hasn't been as bad as, as yeah. it was last month. I think we're going to pay for it in August. So there's always a hot period in the summer, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been in the 80s. It's been cooler than normal and uh, some rain as well, which is good. And um, but I'll tell you, speaking of hot, the inflation report came out this week and. Mm-hmm. Um, for June, it, it it jumped up to nine point one percent, and certainly markets don't like that. And trying to figure out what the Fed's going to do, and we're going to address a little bit of that in the in the show today. Um, but it is causing a lot of consternation. We have seen gas prices drop some over the last month. So. Yeah, which has been helpful. I know a lot of people are traveling, summer plans and trips, and even airlines. I mean, that factors into you know fuel prices for airlines and just travel in general. So that has helped uh, for sure. But yeah, increases of other prices, we still see that in the grocery store. You yep. see that in car prices. You do see that, yeah, in other in other consumer products. So, inflation's high. Gas prices are, are you know, it's helping a little. I, I don't try to predict this stuff, but my guess is is that the inflation for July is going to drop. I mean, you know, home. Uh, really, we see real estate starting to softening up a little bit. Um, you know, some of the stats coming out, gas down. We'll we'll see what happens in the um, in the in the food area, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's been um, certainly a, a tough year in the market, and we'll address some of that as we we go through today. But um, my name is John Travis. Um, I have an MBA in finance, and I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach, and I have 30 years of experience in planning for both corporations and individuals. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm a financial planner with the firm, and have been working here for a little over four years now. Yeah, and we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We uh, have our podcast up every Friday morning. Uh, so you can go to our website, check it out, moneymd.net. Um, you can also download it in iTunes and really listen at your at your leisure. And uh, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a lot of good tools out there. Uh, you can also just listen to the podcast directly from um, the uh, the site. And uh, you can link to us, ask us your questions, and uh, just connect with us from, from there. So uh, we're going to start off here with the financial uh, fact of the week. And this comes from the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis. Um, the nation's personal savings rate, which soared um, back during the pandemic, has now fallen back to its pre-pandemic level. So people are not saving as much. Obviously, I understand in the pandemic, people couldn't you couldn't spend money, except mm. unless you went to Amazon, right. which, which a lot of people <laughs> spent money day. there. But the savings rate back in, in January of 2020 was about 7.8%, and it rose to almost 34% in April of 2020. That's when everything shut down. But now it's dropped back to 4.4% um, in April of 2022, and that's the lowest recorded uh, rate in the United States since September of 2008. Probably a combination of things. I would, I would think inflation is obviously eating into that savings rate. People are having to spend more on food and gas. And when you say savings rate, can you explain kind of what that means, what that looks like? Yeah, the savings rate is just what's left over at the end of it. It's what's able to be put into whether it's an emergency fund, maybe um, you know, into uh, uh, investments okay. and so forth. Okay. So yeah, so this you know, the more disposable income you have, uh, the more the the savings rate is going to increase. I and mean, I think the pandemic was a great example. Thirty four percent back in April of twenty twenty. Wow. 
um, because people weren't able to spend it. So it just built up and um, you know, that's why the economy and the stock market did so well in 2020 after the mm-hmm. pandemic is people had built up re, uh, reserves, right, basically. Right. So That's interesting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So uh, we're going to start off our um, first topic here with looking at the stock market. And, and I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to our podcast over the last really three months, we, we pretty much done a, uh, had a conversation on the stock market on, on every podcast. So a lot of information, a lot of different views, a lot of different data points. And this is just another data point. Um, and I will say, um, you know, it's, it's important to, to realize past performance does not guarantee future results. Right. Um, but we're going to share some historical data with you. And I think if, if you understand some of the history of the markets and how they've reacted, you can um, feel a little bit more comfortable um, going forward. We can't predict when the markets are going to turn around, right? So- but this is a, a pretty interesting discussion on people that bought, and this is just hypothetical, but if you bought stocks on the day that the S&P 500 entered a bear market, the average return over the next 12 months was 22.7%. So, of course, no one knows um, you know, when it's going to turn around at this point, and we'll go through some data. But this is just the the history, the, the averages when we look back and and it's called a contrarian strategy. It's when you know the market is down twenty percent, and you view that as an opportunity. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, that's the way we operate as a firm. We believe when markets are down, and it is an opportunity. And um, so Wall Street is um, is offering stocks at twenty percent off now, and in some cases they're thirty percent off, wow. depending on the segment. And so that means you know if you're not interested, you know you're not walking the talk. Um, and you know, being a contrarian and buying low. Right. I mean, that's when we talk about buying low. This is what we're talking about. So now's your chance to buy when, when um, you know, the Wall Street is scared. And um, historically, it's it's worked out pretty well. So if you were eager to buy stocks at the beginning of the year, which we saw, we had a three-year run in the S and P 500 when it was up over 60% for three years. Um, why wouldn't you be interested in buying now when the S and P 500 is? on sale uh, off 20%. Yeah, that's right. And just I, I, to go through two, maybe two examples real quick and just to get your thoughts, what is, so the first example is the markets are up high, just they're up, let's say back in December, they're doing really well. Um, what is the typical fear of the average client of not wanting to invest at that point? Um, that it's that it's at a high point, right? I mean, so, I mean, markets did have three really good years and um, you know, it, you, you can only make 20% for so long, mm. you know, and, and sometimes, you know, things do revert to the mean. So, you know, but if you would have said that at the end of 2020, you know, you would have been wrong and missed 2021. Right. So trying to predict these markets, whether you're, you know, hindsight's 2020 on this, right? right. We, we just don't know. So looking back at history, some of the data we're about to share with you, it, it is important. It kind of can help you get an overall strategy and um, take a little bit of the stress away because you listen to the markets and the news and the you know the, the constant negativity associated with the markets. And what we're going through, quite frankly, is unusual, but it's not from a stock market standpoint. We've been down this road before. Yeah. So that's the fear on the highs and the fears on the lows specifically. Can you speak to that or like what? I mean, I think it's obvious, but just to state it. So the, the fears of the highs, hey, can't go any higher. The fears and the lows. What what's the fear and the low? Why would you not invest when the markets are down twenty percent? What what is that? Why? Yeah, because it could go down thirty percent. Yeah, right? yeah, or forty percent. Right. So, I mean, so and, and I guess what I'm trying to get at, I think this article is getting at, is thinking through. You know, it, there's fear on both sides. So trying to approach it from a factual standpoint, 
more so than an emotional standpoint, can be a very good way to invest because emotions always say, hey, it's high, it's only can go down or hey, it's low, it's going to go down more versus saying, hey, actually, you know, the markets are up more than they're down historically. Uh, this this gentleman in this this article um, analyzed if you would have invested uh, money, if you would have bought stocks on the day the S&P closes below the 20% threshold, um, sometimes, you know, that that day is is near the end of the bear market. In other cases, the market continued falling before eventually turning up. But on average, you would have done very well. And here, here's some data for that. Yeah. So, and, and so how do you buy stocks right now? I mean, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of ways we're big believers in, in looking at your share balance um, right now. Prices always fluctuate. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Um, but during these downtimes, if you can add to your share balance, and I'll, I'll talk to two of them and I'll let you, you speak to two of them as well. Um, one of them is, is really, you know, simple. You can, um, you can add money to the portfolio, right. right? So we do have clients that are writing checks and putting money into the portfolio. I've personally done that. I know that you, you mm-hmm. do that periodically, but you know, it's a, it's a way that, and we would not tell you to put your emergency fund in the, in the stock market, but if you have some additional cash, um, additional sources, putting money into the market is, is a great way to add shares right. at a discount. Another way to do that, and this is being done kind of behind the scenes already for, for our clients and, and for a lot of people out there as well, is dividend reinvestment. So every quarter, companies are sending cash back to you, the IBMs, the Googles, sending some of that back to you, and that is being uh, purchased. Uh, new shares are being purchased. And so it just happened at the end of June. And so the stock market's lower, so that means you're going to buy more shares. So adding money is a way to add shares. Dividend reinvestment is adding shares. Um, and there's two other ways um, that I'll let you speak to the um, uh, rebalancing and then you know changing the allocation. Yeah. And, and so those two, the, the rebalancing, this is something. And, and so we've had clients and people ask us, hey, you know, the markets are down. You know, the ones that have done poorly, the, the market portfolio or the market segments that have done poorly, should we sell those because they're only going to go down more? Our approach in, in this article, what it's speaking to is the contrarian investor actually says, no, actually, we need to put more money into the the asset classes that have underperformed, into those that have done poorly. So we don't need to sell those. We need to buy more of those. And so rebalancing takes that into effect and says, hey, actually, there are some places in the markets that have not done as poorly as others. There's some that have held their value uh, pretty well. Uh, and so if you're in a broadly diversified portfolio that has international and U.S. and small and large and value and growth and highly profitable and you know not profitable companies, you have a lot of different areas where you can pull money from or where you can rebalance from and to. So, you know, one segment has done well, we'll sell some of that and go and buy what's underperformed. And that, that's the rebalancing of buying low, selling high um, that we do when the markets are down and when the markets go back up, we, we have that same approach. It's not timing the market, it's really a dis- a disciplined approach to saying, hey, we want to be, uh, you know, this percentage in each of these asset classes. The markets have gone down. We need to rebalance to those targeted allocations. That that's rebalancing. Yeah, and then the other one is just changing allocations. We do see some people that are that are getting a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, and and that's an interesting concept. If you are if you long term want to be, you know, sixty percent in the markets, forty percent in fixed income. And recently, you've gone more conservative because of life situations, or you've just gotten scared of the markets. And let's say you're 50 50 overall, 50 equities, 50 fixed income. This could be a good time to say, hey, actually, 
you know, we want to invest more in the markets, but we don't have excess cash. So how do we get more in equities? Well, you can actually go more aggressive in your portfolios by reallocating some of the fixed income portion of your portfolio into the equity side. So you can move from a 50-50 to a 60-40 and increase the equity portion just by moving to where you want to be long-term. So when the markets are down, it provides that place to say, hey, we can go more aggressive with some of these fixed income. And again, buy low, sell high with with the equity portion. Yeah, and all this is really um, specific to the individual and um, and family. Some, some people don't want to do some of these steps, which is okay. But if you're a long-term investor, picking up additional shares this way historically has worked out very well. And again, we're, we're not trying to predict the markets here. We could go down further. You have to have that built into your mindset. Um, but but adding shares um, is ultimately a great way to build wealth. Yeah, and let me just say one thing on, on the going down further. That is a fear of, you know, obviously most clients and we, no one wants to lose money. But uh, even the, 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 the case where you're in retirement and you're pulling money and you don't want the money to go down, let's say you're, let's say you're even 70, 75 years old, 80 years old. The, the thought with this money is it's not for the majority of our clients. It's not just for our clients. It turns into an inheritance for their heirs. So when you look at, you know, hey, the markets are down this year or the markets are going to be down next year, it's really a short time period. Even if you're older, we're saying, hey, this is still, you know, if you're 80, this is 15-year money. And then you have your kids, this is 40-year money or 50-year money. So when you start looking at it like that as this family legacy, this these assets that are being left for an inheritance, it, it turns it just from your life uh, expectancy into the life expectancy of your kids and grandkids. And mm-hmm. then you can say, okay, the markets are down, but, you know, we're staying invested. We're being disciplined. So it can remove some of that fear if you start looking towards that long-term approach to investing. Yeah, so that's a great, great discussion on on adding shares. So again, if you would have bought um, and added shares on the uh, when the S&P 500 closed below 20% loss, which is known as a bear market, over the next 12 months, the history shows that your average return would have been 22.7%. So that's why folks like us and the Dave Ramseys of the world you know, encourage you not to, to sell during these downturns um, because historically it's worked out well. Now, it, here's the data that, that's important. 22.7 is the average. That's over um, 12 major declines since World War II, right? So there's been 12 major declines that this stat is, is coming from. And um, however, two of those um, actually would have had you still sitting at a loss 12 months later. Okay. So not all 12... <laughs> turned out to be 22.7%. The average was 22.7. But, you know, that does mean that 10 out of 12, right, had a um, positive return at the end of 12, 12 months. So again, it's it's not guaranteed that it's going to be 12 months. That's sure. not the way this works. But the when you start looking at investing, you look at averages and the probabilities associated with things as well. Yeah. And, and you look at the odds and it's like, okay, if you're going to make a bet, do you want to bet on something that's two out of 12 or 10 out of 12? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, you, you start looking at these odds and you start looking at history and say, okay, yeah, let's, let, let's put it where, where we think yeah, it's going to be. Those aren't terrible odds. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, but you might object and say, Hey, this time's different. You know, we've, we've never had a pandemic or we've never had inflation this high since 40 years ago. We've never dot, 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 fill it in. Um, you know, but the, that has been true with every single bear market that we've gone through, i.e., you know, we had never had the oil embargo, yeah. you know, for 50 years ago. We've never had the pandemic. We've never had 9-11. 9-11. We've never had these different situations. 
and this stat still holds true. So the, the objection that this time is different is a it's a truthful objection, but it's not based on the data. The data takes that into account because it's more or less irrelevant what has happened. Uh, the markets respond to it and and, and have this data um, to back it up. Yeah. So the um, bottom line is, as long as you believe the stock market will eventually go back up and surpass the January highs. Um, purchases now potentially will show a bigger profit, um, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. In those two cases that it, it, it didn't turn around within 12 months, you obviously, it did turn around at some point if you were diversified. So, um, you know, there's some people out there that are uh, contrarian investors, which just means, hey, they view this as an opportunity um, versus something that's that's chaotic. And I think, Matthew, you made a good point. Um, you know, when you start looking at, hey, you know, we do have down years in the stock market. You start looking at your lifetime, you start looking at your kids and your grandkids that will potentially inherit this as well. And it, it takes a little bit of the stress off. Um, again, we can't tell you when this is going to turn around, um, you know, but historically speaking, it always has, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so what we see that has worked well in past bear markets is, is share accumulation uh, is important. And if you're in retirement, it's protecting those shares. So when we do distributions, we try to leave the stock shares alone and do distributions off the bonds. Yeah, and just one more thing on that. I think you know part of our goal as a firm is is to help clients accumulate more assets and to build wealth. But um, underneath that is not just the desire to build more wealth, because we think that is where a lot of the fear comes from. If that is the only goal, um, there has to be a greater goal that you have for building wealth, whether it's spending time with grandkids or being generous or you know, having time with your family, there is a greater goal that we would encourage you. If you have a plan and, and you, you've stuck to the plan and you've been disciplined according to that, then you should not really concern yourself with the markets. That is something that will take care of itself long-term and, and you really are freed up to enjoy life and, and not worry about that. So that's just a, a disclaimer. We just hope to to help people have more peace with their finances. Yeah, I totally agree. So good, good discussion on that. If you have any questions, certainly reach out to us or send us an email. And we're going to switch gears and do the uh, question of the week. Yeah, we got this from a client um, last week. And so this is interesting. Uh, it says this this lady said she bought a stock, a single stock, and it's now down 50% year to date. Uh, should I sell it now and diversify or should I keep it until it recovers and then diversify? I'm actually interested to get your opinion on this, what you think. Because there was no necessarily right or wrong answer because I mean it could go up it could double in value tomorrow or it could keep going down and not come back so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts yeah that's a that's a tough question um, it, it, it part of it depends on the amount of money if it's if it's two thousand dollars yeah you can kind of see if it recovers if it's two hundred thousand um, dollars you know that's a that, there's there's that may change the answer a little mm-hmm. bit and and um, I used to work for uh, General Electric many many years ago and uh, when I was there, it was one of the most admired companies in the world. And, um, and so their stock price went through a 20-year period where it was underwater, did not make any money at all. So waiting on things to recover, sometimes it, in some cases, it never happens. So I, mm-hmm. and generally, I would uh, diversify it into something um, that has a better chance overall to go up, may not go up, may not double but it at least would recover um, and have a better shot at recovering. When you start talking about individual stocks, yeah. the risk level is off the charts. Yeah, it's that proven model versus that unsure single company model. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And uh, we do see a lot of stocks, um, you know, out there. You look at the Netflixes, and right. they're down 60% Peloton. I mean, there's a lot of stocks that have just been pummeled. And matter of fact, um, some of the cryptocurrency, there was a firm that went bankrupt. And, and yeah, I mean, I I've that. seen a lot, of, a lot of people losing a lot of money and very risky things. That's, I mean, so hopefully this amount was a very small amount. And if you want to quote, play around with, you know, $1,000, 2000 sure. on the side with this, you can do that. But your general wealth should be, we believe, in mutual funds. Yeah, Or ETFs. Yeah. Right. All right, so we're going to switch gears here, and uh, we're going to talk about an article. This is um, from Swab, and uh, it's working in retirement, and how does um, Social Security and uh, Medicare impact? Yeah, and so this is an interesting question. We do have this occasionally, and we hope it's helpful if you've ever wonder, wondered this. But if, you, if you've retired but are considering returning to work, um, yeah, just being aware of that your decision may affect your Social Security and Medicare benefits, whether you're in it for the extra income or merely getting paid for something you really just enjoy doing. It's important to understand how bringing home a paycheck in retirement could affect your Social Security benefits and medical coverage uh, as well. So here, here are just a couple items um, to consider yeah. uh, for that. Yeah, this first one is probably the most important one is that your Social Security benefits could be reduced, uh, but temporarily. And this is really important. And so your age does matter. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. The IRS um, does eventually recalculate your benefit and give you credit for months where you didn't receive a benefit. So, um, you know, don't let a temporary reduction. So if you're making more than the threshold, um, your social security can, can go to zero, but you don't lose that. Right. It's actually added back to your full retirement age benefits. Um, and that's usually between 66 and 67. So it ultimately doesn't hurt you and you lose that Social Security. It just increases the full retirement age benefit uh, associated with it. Yeah, and, and we would typically, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we would typically encourage clients, if you are working, and so the, the benefit for an individual in 2022 is about 20000 that if you make over that, then it's reduced $1 for every $2 of earnings. And yep. if you're um, you know, the same year for retirement age, it's like 52,000. So it, we would encourage you if you're over one of those two limits um, to probably not take social security. You can take it, but it it's likely going to be reduced. And if it's reduced all the way, it's just deferring it anyways. And from a simplicity standpoint, yes, just wait, totally wait agree. to defer it or wait to claim it. But I will say um, an interesting note, um, the social security benefits um, for yourself are not reduced based on your spouse's earnings, even if you file jointly, which is something that's just an interesting note to to note that if you if your spouse makes a lot of income and, and you are not working, you make no income, then your benefits will not be reduced based on your spouse's. Um, so that's something something to note. But yeah, there is a, a, a very um, interesting calculation as far as the age and how much it's reduced. There is a calculator on ssa.gov that if you want to know if your earnings will be reduced, um, you can type in your income, type in your age, and it will show you the dollar amount that will be reduced. But again, you're right. It will be added back in um, you know, when you do claim at full retirement age. Yeah. So again, just to reiterate that, because this is a, people are confused on this. If you're, if you start social security and you go back and you work above the limit, which is about 20,000, um, you will have a reduction in social security benefits, but then that'll just basically be put back on at, at full retirement age. So Correct. you don't lose it. It just is reduced for now and it increases in the future. So, um, but but here's another really important thing is once you hit that full retirement 
age, and everybody has a little different um, age. 60, it's between 66 and 67. Mm-hmm. It goes by months. Um, you can make as much as you want, and, mm-hmm. and the Social Security is not... Uh, not reduced, and so you can you can make you know eighty thousand dollars and and get the same amount of social security um, and it may actually help you if you are working past the full retirement age because social security benefits are based on your highest thirty five years mm-hmm. of income um, and the additional earnings may boost your your social security benefits by replacing or filling in years where you had little uh, or or no earnings so there is a a test calculator out there as well. Social Security does a pretty good job of putting some good resources on their website. Yeah, and just one thing we we recommend to every client um, is to is to create an account for each spouse on SSA.gov. Yes. So that that's very important, especially if you're younger and and you're working. Um, that is an especial especially important topic because if they misreport your income one year, yeah. then you know, it's easier to say, hey, last year they misreported it versus waiting till sixty two and then yeah. saying, hey, thirty years ago you misreported it. It's much easier yeah. to. To, to modify as you go. Well, we both had that. I mean, I just, yeah. did, did you get yours corrected? I haven't checked actually. Okay. I need to. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did. Um, so 2020 for both of us, yep. they, um, they put a zero in. And so I got mine corrected, had to show them my W-2, the W-2. And, and they, you probably, you know, it probably is updated on yours as well, but make sure you check that because yeah. it does impact your benefits. That's right. Um, so social security benefits, you know, could be taxable um, up to a maximum of 85%. Um, if your income is low enough, it can be not taxed at all. So you got to make sure you, um, when you get into retirement, you have some planning in that area because there are some opportunities there. Another interesting note on this is you can actually pay back uh, benefits you've already received within the first year of the benefits if you've claimed it. So it's kind of a, you know, a very, very small percentage of people, but let's say you're 63 and you start claiming social security and you claim it for five months, so then you're like, oh, it was a terrible decision. I don't like retirement. I need to go back to work. Um, you can actually pay back those five months that you've claimed Social Security. And you have to pay back other items like Medicare um, as well and into that. But you can pay that back and then actually file with Social Security and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer my um, claiming until a later date because you're working again. But it's only for the first 11 months. So the first year of you working, you can do that. Pass that you've claimed and, and and that's what it is. You made your bed. But um, up until that year time period, you can actually pay back and defer and kind of undo the claiming process, if you will. Yeah. Another thing that needs to be you know looked at is the uh, uh, health insurance. I mean, eligibility for group health insurance is one of the primary reasons why people under the age of 65 continue to work or in some cases actually go back uh, and return to the workforce. So if you're 65 or older, uh, you're already covered by Medicare, but check with your employer's human resource department about how to how their insurance coverage works with Medicare. Uh, in short, Medicare could could help pick up for, uh, the tab for expenses not covered by your your group plan, but you know, each plan is a little different, so you may you may want to check with your HR department. Uh, and if you have private health insurance, you need to compare the benefits and coverages with the plans offered by the new employer. Um, Group plans tend to be less expensive than individual policies, but you may be better off keeping your individual policy rather than canceling it. So you just got to do some some review of that and make sure that um, you know there's no no changes that need to be made. So yeah, then this last thing is is just a, a tidbit of information. If you uh, have an HSA health savings account uh, and you are approaching Medicare age, you have to stop contributing to your HSA at, at least six months before you claim or you start filing for Medicare. And the reason is Medicare looks back and says, hey, if you have contributed in the last six months to an HSA, there's a penalty associated with that. So 
If you're 63 and you have a year and a half until you're 64 and a half, you can contribute up until that point. But we would encourage you, you know, six months before not to contribute to an HSA um, because that can that can hurt uh, your income because it can be penalized. Yeah. So if, if you have questions, I mean, Social Security, it seems very simple on the surface, but it is very complicated. Um, you know, reach out to us, whether you're a client or not, we can have that discussion with you. More than happy to help you. Uh, Matthew and I have gone through some training or in, in continuous training yes. in that area um, to, to continue to you know, hone our skills on Social Security. And there are some, some strategies that can be in, in implemented and just discussions around Social Security that we can, we can help you make the right decision on that. So very good topic. And we're going to close out here with the prescription of the week. And uh, this prescription is to pass wisdom to your heirs before you pass wealth. Um, wealth without wisdom it can be a disaster, um, but wisdom, you know, before wealth can be a heritage uh, for your family that's that's worth remembering and it helps your your heirs make the right decisions. So we, we do see money, um, you know, it changes people. And if you haven't prepared the folks that are going to be inheriting this, um, it can be it can be a negative influence and consequence for that that family. So. That's right. You really, I mean, Ron Blue um, is really big on this past wisdom. So what that really means is, is is talking about money with your family and training them and giving them your values and how you did what you did and um, start talking to them when they're in their, you know, 20s and, and 30s uh, for older folks listening on here and even grandkids as well. Um, it's a way that you can pass on your legacy and your wisdom. Um, you know, one thing as, as I've gone through um, my lifetime, you know, we all have all made mistakes in life and with money, and we can, we can impart that on younger generations so they don't make those same mistakes. Yeah, and just one, one thing to add to that, um, you know, it's don't, make it not taboo. I mean, I think that's a common excuse. Oh, well, we don't talk about money in our family. Well, that, that's a decision that you can make, and maybe that's something that you can ease into it and say, no, no, actually, you know, everyone dies. You know, everyone has money. Everyone has these decisions, and and this is how our family is going to think through this. And and to take leadership in that can just serve your family really well. So that's just an encouragement um, from that. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net, and send us your questions. And give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at seven zero six. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 